I'm Peter Jones, and welcome to The Foyne Jones Show. This podcast will be combining personality, passion, and our love of football, alongside industry and recruitment news. Our amazing guests will share their personal stories and also explain what they get up to when they're not at work. Okay, so today's episode of the Foyne Jones Show is being recorded at Foyne Jones Towers and I'm joined by Graham Jackson. Graham, good afternoon. Hi, Peter. Um, Graham, as most people know, and they're probably already connected to you already, Graham, because you're up there with me in terms of connections on LinkedIn and followers. Um, Graham Jackson is going to talk to us about so many different things today. He's going to talk about who he is, where he's come from, where it began and where he, where he is now. Um, what are you doing? At your, what are you doing at the moment, and where the inspiration from for that came, and how that's making a difference in the sector? Your passions and interests outside of work, including family, football, design, and wellness. And we're going to really go big on the football with a penalty shootout quiz about your favourite team. I'll let people tell you who that is. And we're going to wrap it all up with some positive stuff at the end. So, Graham, um, tough journey down for you, mate, wasn't it? Yeah, I chose today to um, to give my daughter a lift from Northampton to Gatwick on the one day where there was a month's rain yeah. in a day. And um, I think it took five and a half hours from 6.30 this morning to go. But she's off to Croatia, Montenegro, Crete. and Lucky her. And I'm here. Like what? You, you're in Foyd Joe's Towers, mate. Yeah. All the magic, all the magic it's, can it's happen. A, it's a close uh, balance. Well, you're in, the, you're in the lovely Louisian town, mate. You're in the lovely town of Lewis, mate. So, so there's lots of history, there's lots of culture. What's really perverse, and we might as well share it with the listeners, is that um, I'm actually doing the reverse journey tonight. So I'm uh, <laughs> I, I'm heading back up that way. You're staying in Brighton tonight, aren't you? Or are you going back? I'm going down to see some friends in Brighton. Yeah, yeah. I know he's going to see yeah. some friends. So I'm going up to Northamptonshire. So we're uh, like ships that pass in the night. But... Great to get you on here, Graham, because a well-known player in our industry with what we do. But the show's not about Foyne Jones. The show today is about Graham Jackson. So can you share with the listeners who you are? Uh, yeah, I'm a, a seasoned retailer, I guess is the word that describes people with grey beards and grey hair. Um, I grew up in Middlesbrough, uh, Teesside, I guess, Thornaby. Um, uh, left college, didn't go to university. Um, Joined BHS as a, as a trainee manager, did my stint there for 10 years and ended up opening the Lakeside store when that shopping centre first opened. Uh, then took a massive gamble in my life and moved on to Virgin Retail um, when we only had six shops. And I was uh, a store manager of the Newcastle Mega Store, mixing it with virtually every pop star you could ever think of. Attending the Brits every year and going to must be tough for you, Graham. Terrible. I could see you fitting um, right in at the Mobos, mate. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Your grey hair and your guys um, pre grey hair and beard. Didn't, didn't have grey hair. Yeah, there you go. Pre grey. Yeah, I've got. I've, so I've got no hair, mate. But I've got a beard. Um, and then went through the music industry. Uh, became retail ops director at Virgin. Moved on to um, another entertainment company called Choices, and then. Spent a couple of years running the largest IKEA in the UK, or, or partially running it with a guy called Sven in Wembley. Um, and then I could tell you some stories about me and my family around the IKEA store in Wembley. Uh, yeah, it's an amazing yeah. place. That uh, that that man there who made the coffee earlier is my oldest son Harry, and uh, he spent much of his childhood getting lost in IKEA, being recovered. You know, you don't realise until you work in there. Um, what a vast place it is. And we and we just follow and we go as they're told. Yeah. And I used to be like I used to be that rogue person that could see the just, shortcut. Just cut through it. Yeah, yeah no, and I knew the yeah, yeah, I could see the shortcut. 
But uh, we that, cunningly hide them. Though. That was a busy store, though. Yeah, well, that was, it is a busy store. 120 million turnover out of one yeah. store. There was one day where they did the 20. Uh, first anniversary of, of the UK, 21% off. And we did 2.1 million in 24 hours. Wow. Um, so amazing place, 650 staff, 47 different nationalities, full on every day. Um, but, you know, you learn a lot and they invest a huge amount in you as a person. So as do Virgin, actually. Culturally, mm. those two businesses made a, a massive difference to me. Um, and then I was fortunate. I moved on, actually. I moved from music to home. Um, it probably is an age thing, and I uh, I went and ran Heels of London, um, which is uh, one of those iconic brands in London, 200 years old. Retail director Andrea was living in uh, Italy and coming across once every four weeks, and I was retail um, UK retail director. He- Heels to me always says Chelsea. Yeah, it just well, always, yeah, it just, yeah. I mean, I I grew up the other end of the road, yeah. so I grew up the other, but but it just always <laughs> has that. So in my mind, it just has that association with it. To me, it was an eye-opener because you mm. went from IKEA, which is all about design, but actually about functionality and value. You went to Heels, which is all about special design mm. and uh, quality. And um, I loved it, actually. I, I looked after the UK stores from right up in Yorkshire down to Brighton. And uh, it, was, uh, it was a really good time for us. And then from Heels, I... Uh, got sick of moving into London every day um, and I ended up as MD of Bell six years ago uh, when they were struggling a bit uh, and needed significant change. Um, stayed there for five and a half, six years, uh, loved every second of it. Um, probably got to the point where I'd done everything I'd set out to do. The guy below me, Lee, uh, is a, was originally um, identified as my successor anyway. Um, and, and quite frankly, I think when you're doing a change program, five and a half years is long enough. So I, uh, we opened the restaurant last year and gifting and put in smart home concessions and a host of other stuff. And I guess I'd started at that stage thinking about what I was going to do after, after Bell. Um, and I'm now, a, a, for what it's worth, a business consultant, um, predominantly helping in retail and SMEs, um, usually with businesses that want to grow or have some need for additional skills. Um, and that actually is kitchens, bathrooms. I'm working with a building company at the moment, a concrete company, a fires and stoves company, a gifting company. But they all have common um, bits to them, which is they need help in specific areas. And because of my perceived wisdom, I tend to get um, involved with those people. I've got a lot of, you know, lots of people now know me in the industry. How are you? How are you managing the time? Because you mentioned you mentioned earlier, you know, about the uh, about the not the air miles, about the road miles. Um, coming away from you know the because you was a very hands on managing director from what I see, and when you talk about that that journey with Bells, you know, I'm I'm most familiar with you. I mean, I, I would love to know you around the Mobos time and everything there, but but I, but I see you as where you was, and that business was very much communicated on social media for yeah. yourself and. And there, so coming away from that and going out on your own, um, how have you find that? You know, the, like the daily motivation, the planning, just the general. Is, is it your passion for the industry that's driving it? Is it dictated by by market demands? How, how do you how, how did you map it all out? Well, when you first do it, Peter, I think you you're dictated by needing some business to pay yeah. the mortgage, if I'm honest. But um, interestingly, I'd say. Um, 
as a consultant, what I really enjoy is the variety. Mm. So uh, what people don't realize, when you, you hold a day, I say I hold a strategy day for a bathroom company, um, and you get paid for that day, I've done three to four days work before I go through that day. Mm. Because actually I want to, because I'm passionate about that business succeeding and I want to be successful with them and I like the people. So I, I've chosen to work at the moment, which sounds a bit uh, pompous, with people, I enjoy their company, I, I recognize I can add some value, and I actually want as much passion for that as I did with Bell. Um, organizational skills are not my strength, so I, uh, I have a wife and a daughter who keep me in check. <laughs> and a diary, which I'm, I'm very much digital, but I have a paper diary as well to make sure that I, I, I hit deadlines and timelines because you've got to. Um, but in terms of the, the work, the diversity of the work is fab. Mm. You know, you're, you're involved. If you're working in, a, in one place, you put a strategy in place for five years. You review it every three to six months. You're working with the same people every day and the familiarity is great. And, mm. the, and the, the uh, ability, I guess, to... Uh, so influence is huge initially, and then it wanes a bit. When you're working with different people, you face different challenges and different ideas. And do you know what? I, I, at the moment, I'm absolutely loving it. Mm. It comes across just just from you know just from you walking in the door and just genuinely what's going on. It just exudes out of you. It's interesting. We said there's something about you know the the paper diary and, and being digital. You know, I, I am in the digital world, but yeah. you know when I'm doing anything creative. Yeah, it's always a pen and paper for me. It's a pen and a day book. And, 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 it, and it's amazing the difference between if I'm trying to write something creative on a laptop or on an on a, on a iPad, comparing that to when I do it old-fashioned. You know, I don't know. Somehow the old mind flows and, and it goes there. But I saw, I saw one of your strategy days or I saw the, the pictures of it and the, the notes and the, and the stuff. And it's it, on the flip chart. Yeah, it reminded me of the walls out here, you know, because yeah. it, cause I'm, I'm very much a visual, visual person. But well, I quite like the spontaneity of flip yeah. chart gives. So you, you're doing your PowerPoint presentation. If I'm honest, they're, they're, they're all a bit cliche PowerPoints, but you have to do them. And, but within that, we tend to use uh, flip charts because I get the other people to do most of the writing. Yeah. So I want the, the builder and his um, fabulous builder, by the way, um, and, and his wife to be the ones that come up with the ideas. I, I guess you, you, in the traditional leadership model, it would be coaching. But also, you know, Scribbling on paper is so powerful. If you're a football manager, how would you describe your style? How would you how would you, how would you describe your 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 management consultant style as a football manager? I'm. Um, Are you a Pep? Uh, Are you a Sir Alex? No, I'm. I'm more of a. In my youth, I was Sir Alex. Yeah. So I was very hairdryer challenging uh, to work with. I think I'm less challenging in the traditional sense of uh, perhaps the um, aggressiveness that would come out mm. in that, but I'm equally as challenging in setting really really demanding goals um there's no in my view of life there's no point in playing if you don't play to win um but i'm much more supportive of the people that, I, I mean one of the things that always been said about me is i'm lazy um i'm not lazy i just surround myself with people better than me yeah so if you surround yourself with talent your job is to get the best out of them mm. um and i guess that's what pep does he's not about him although he has to have that strategic mind he's i mean, look at raheem sterling and the way that he's gone from being an averagely good player to world class. And also, the, respect, you know, the, the, the Raheem Sterling we talk about now is, is a Raheem Sterling who's making a difference in, yeah. in everything as well as football. He, he certainly is a moral leader now, yeah. Yeah. whereas previously he had a reputation for being off the rails. Mm. And also, if you, I mean, the specific one I remember was the end of the, uh, the cup final, I think it was, when um, 
Petler took Graham Sterling to one side and at the end was was pointing out the things he could have done better. Mm. Um, and that lack of, well, I guess, willingness to not accept mediocrity is probably where my head is. I'm, uh, you know, I work with businesses I think I can turn around because I genuinely do think I can turn them around. But it won't work unless the people want to do it as well. Graham, great intro. So we, we've learned about your your journey from um, from well, same same education as me, mate. So not yeah. not not the university time in this little room, um, but from music to home to heels to bells, and now to the GJ consultancy. And I think what what everyone listening to this would really really be interested to know is where the inspiration for that came from and. Kind of the, the uh, uh, almost a, an overview of the services that you could offer someone, yeah. a business as such. I think the inspiration, uh, I guess as you get older you start thinking about what you want to do uh, yourself and, and when you work for somebody else you're driven by you know, contractual obligations and, uh, and the need to deliver a strategy and, and objectives for, for a business and shareholders and stakeholders. So I started thinking about this about a year ago if I'm honest. Um, Primarily because I kept meeting businesses or suppliers that were perhaps asking me for assistance, mm. launches, new startups, businesses that were struggling, businesses that wanted to grow. But because of my involvement with Bell, I could only do it on a, a friendly, in fact I did, I helped two or three businesses on a coaching basis. But okay, it occurred to me that I really enjoyed that style of, um, of what was happening. Um, and I guess if I look back on my time at Bell, the most exciting time for me was the first two to three years when we really instigated change, not only on the basis of, of product and, and layout and merchandising, but real cultural change as well of, of how we treated people and, uh, and the value that I, people I remember. Had. I remember reading something about you, it was, you, you ripped up the job descriptions, didn't you? Yeah, that, I did, that was yeah. one of the... Uh, I, I, um, I love things like that. I did a, a lecture in front of about 300... Um, HR directors and uh, tore appraisals up and told them that they were rubbish. Did they burn effigies of you afterwards? Or no? Well, some did. Some <laughs> actually came and patted me on yeah. the back. I mean, all I was saying really is, mm. don't wait for a year to tell somebody they're no good or they're good. Yeah. Do it every single week and every month and do it in an open feedback session and give the person some passion to want to be part of the business. <laughs> and I actually talked to Bell when I first got there about um, nobody goes into work to do a bad job. Mm. Um, the only reason they do a bad job is usually us, you know, mm. because we're rubbish at managing them or leading mm. them. So I, I, um, I've never been particularly conformist. Uh, I think you said earlier, you, you're not either. Um, but that doesn't mean that I'm um, completely rebellious either. I just look for different solutions. Yeah, I, th I, think, I think it's with respect. I mean, I, you know, I, I wear the appropriate suit for the inappropriate environment, yeah. but, but, you know, the, the, just ripping the appraisal sheets up. I remember back in my builder's merchant days, so this is many, many moons ago, but about 2002, 2001, and I was a very young, uh, probably a ceramic style London sales director for, for Juicing, and um, similar environment, not, not, not in the hundreds, but certainly in the, in the 40s or 50s of um, sales reps and sales staff. I did exactly the same with a call sheet. Ripped it up, you know. So I'm not not interested in, in your light sheets and who yeah. you who you think I want you to say. Just just go and sell stuff. Go and have some yeah. fun. 
And um, it was, uh, yeah, it was part evangelical, part part bold, and part you know suicide, depending on, on, on yeah. yeah, depending on where you looked at it. And uh, the, <laughs> my boss, he's got me around the shoulder. He said, "You just better deliver some numbers, mate, because like you know, it's all going to be on you." And we did. But you uh, let the shackles off, don't you? Yeah. That? I mean, you know, and I know some people will flourish in that environment, but most uh, team members that you work with, they just want some clarity in what's expected. Just occasionally, they'd like to be told they're doing a good job. When they're not doing a good job, they'd like to be told quicker than a year. And what yeah. I found out at IKEA, um, and I get really passionate about this, um, appraisal systems were really um, a tick box exercise for the manager. Mm. They had to do them because they were managed and KPI'd on them. So I just sat there wondering how much thought really went into that appraisal once every year that really was aimed at getting that person to perform better. And I think if you can have those conversations, and we, we had those conversations, we called it a 20 minute meeting. and had a cup of coffee and sat down and uh -huh. talked to the person about what they were trying to achieve, how that lined up with the business and what help did they need. And um, in Bell for three years, four years, that worked incredibly well. Fantastic. So, so talking about, you know, the, the small business owner, because that, that's kind of where, yeah. you, where you're getting passionate about getting excited. Small business owner, couple of showrooms, they listen to this and they're thinking, I like Graham, he's a bit crazy, but I like, mm -hmm. I like what he's saying. There's, there's a logic into what, in, into where he's coming across. So I want to, I want to see what, what he can offer me. What, what could you offer, you know, that, that business owner? So, it's sort of an interior company. I mean, so. I don't want to make this a sales pitch, but um, in broad terms, I... Um, we'll cut I it out if it's yeah, too yeah, We'll edit yeah. it out, mate. Um, we'll cut it out. I guess I, I start with business strategy. So I look at businesses and say, how are you doing? Have you got a vision and understanding? Do you understand your market? Do you understand your customer? And what are you doing to attract those people? And uh, there's quite a... A detailed analysis goes into that working with the business owners and I've done that with three or four businesses in various sectors bathroom kitchen fires and stoves um, and then from that the, the outcome is real actions 90-day action plans mm. and those 90-day action plans are really aimed at changing the way that business works and, and uh, we're making some significant progress in in one of those bathroom businesses we've already found uh, a new niche and some new major customers but it's challenged every aspect of what the person that ran that business thought it was. Mm. Um, I then do uh, uh, quite a lot around social media and SEO and websites. Um, I'm a bit of a social media geek, as you know. Um, I follow uh, you with interest. I, I look forward to it. You know, well, I, I've laid it off a little bit since I left Bell because I had to build my new business, but oh. I'll be starting again in earnest shortly. But it's more about the fact that marketing has changed and businesses now that sit there and think that paper advertising or no advertising is going to work for them um, will struggle in the future. Um, the world is now full of bloggers, it's full of influencers, it's full of social media content and each area of social media is different so you've really got to have a digital uh, approach to things and, and I'm reasonably confident that and where I aren't I have um, people that I work with that, that can. And then the final thing is I'm, I do a lot of training. So I do, um, I'm BMF accredited and I do leadership and finance training for them at all levels. Uh, I can do sales training. Um, I'm heavily involved in doing uh, leadership training at a higher level. So if you're a bigger merchant, I can do team orientation. I've got associations with people that do really sophisticated software, things like DISC and mm. Genus. Um, and I, I thought I would do more of that. And in fact, I'm doing some of that, but I'm doing more of the business side at the moment. Um, and I'm trying to narrow it down and just concentrate on training, marketing, 
business strategy. But just to, just to finish that off, I've got a question. I was going to ask it at the end, but I think I'm going to, going to ask this one now. You don't know about this one, because I didn't tell you about it. Okay, so, so where do you see um, the, the world of retail as it is now in 10, 10 years from now? 10 years is, is, is probably too long, if I'm mm. honest, in the sense of, if I look at when I joined the music industry, nobody would have ever told me that by the time I left that, 10 years later, music stores were redundant. Mm. Um, and I was trying to buy some in 1995, the, the hour price chain. Um, I guess what I would say is, there'll be less retailers, mm. um, there'll be consolidation of the fittest, mm. um, and there'll be, uh, in my opinion, uh, I mean, there's a lot of cliches talked about omni-channel, multi-channel, but the best businesses will reach the customer and the customer will be digital. Mm. So any angst we have about um, selling online, we have to find compromises at the moment. Mm. But I tell you what, if you just want quick wins, make sure that those businesses have a strategy that sees them moving more towards um, a social media and a website-based um, visibility. And, and then in retailing in general, I think most of the big stores will have gone. Mm. Um, I think there'll be a full switch back what's your, to what's individuality. Your, what's your, I mean, you mentioned you was involved in the, you know, the, the, the Lakeside, when, when, yeah. when, it, when it was Lakeside. And then there was, so what's your view on the Westfield Lakeside type arena? Well, I, I, it's very interesting. If you go to America at the moment, most of the malls are really struggling. Yeah. Um, and if you look at the anchors that were in those um, shopping centres, they're all gone. Mm. House of Fraser, yeah. um, uh, Debenhams. What, they're at one end, they're yeah. at the other. And then yeah. what, what we used to do was put a, a 300,000 square foot department store at the end. John Lewis with profits warnings. So you've got this scenario at the moment where customers are demanding individuality, uniqueness. Um, I guess... They want something that's relevant to them. Mm. And if you could get property costs down, and by that I mean rates yeah. and rents, independent shops have a real chance. And yeah. high streets could be re, re so see, I'm, I'm quite old, I'm old, boring and weird, I guess. Uh, and I like the outdoor shopping. I, I like walking down the lanes in Brighton. I like so do going I. down, you know. Like if I'm going to go to buy something, I don't know, branded, I'll probably go to the shop in the actual street yeah. rather than I would to the big department store with the artificial lights. But that that's just me. I can see both. But it's um, it's interesting to, to see where that is because you are absolutely right there. A friend of mine does, uh, he's got brilliant clothes wear, Italian shirts and clothes and stuff. And um, he's, he's in London and Leeds and he had a beautiful stop shop in Brighton and Duke's Lane, you know, beautiful. Yeah. But the, the rents travelled overnight and yeah. he's like, you know, I've got to go. Property costs have killed businesses. Yeah. And, and, and if you look at the, um, the rents never go down. Mm. So it doesn't matter whether you're a kitchen retailer or a... Um, uh, a, a boutique gifting shop. Now, I mean, there's a great example of a boutique gifting shop. Um, uh, there's one in my store in Bell when I was there called Mooch, which is a, a concession. They're now opening their third store, uh, driven by two ex um, car firm warehouse or Dixons, I think, people. But they're brilliant. They've created a brand, they've created an offer. And you know what? It's far more interesting to walk around their gifting department than John Lewis. And mm. I, I get a real buzz from small market towns. Yeah. But you know, Northampton, 275,000 people, and the town centre is very much full of value and charity. Mm. So there's a big job for local authorities to work with landlords, to work with um, independent retailers, to reinvent and reignite that market. But I don't see many more malls being built. And the ones mm. that are there are going to have to reinvent themselves to make it a destination again, because I agree with you. I think more and more customers now will be either online or a real reason to go somewhere. Yeah. And that point of difference is usually 
that sort of novelty and uniqueness. Yeah. Well, we went to myself and my wife went to Brighton on Saturday, and like I mean, like like your 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 missus and your daughter, it was planned out. You know, we were parking there, we're going there, we're going there, we're going there, and then we'll see what happens after that. None of that was actually in the mail part. It was there, yeah. there, and there, yeah, yeah. which is just as it happens. Then we floated about a bit, and then you know, just give you the power of digital. Um, Jane saw a lady walk by with a bag she liked. And she said, oh, I like that. That's, that's nice. And Googled it, couldn't find it in stock anywhere. Ordered it. It, hit, it arrived at this office Monday morning. Yeah. Now that, that's from like Saturday afternoon, Monday morning. So, so that's powerful for, for, for a shopper there. But that experience of, of going out and knowing where you're going, if that carries on, having the gift shop where you're going to go or somewhere where there's a lovely customer service yeah. and experience... That's going to make more of a difference and keep you coming back. Because I, I almost personally, and some listeners will agree or disagree, but I zone out with some of them. I just like, oh, I'm, yeah. you know, it's robotic and it doesn't Super stand out. Isn't it? it is, it's, it's the robotic. So we all want to feel good, don't we? You, you, want, to, you Look, want to have a bit of service. I mean, something I, I, I talk through with a lot of people is that the, if you were born in the 80s, I mean, I was born in the 60s, so if you're born in the 80s, um, you were born into a di an era when you were a teenager where there was already... Um, digital mobile phones you grew up in an era that was the the probably the single biggest change in revolution of of the way people behave ever and they're now 30 to 40 and they're, they're directors and managers of their own mm. businesses and those people are completely and utterly savvy on mm. technology so the challenge is me the challenge is people my age who are running businesses who are uh, rightly i think perhaps not knowledgeable or not um immersed in technology and a bit scared and wary of it but to open up and 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 accept that the market has changed the customer behavior has changed and actually do you know what people don't go shopping in the way they did they go if they want some clothes now they go to asos and and they can return it two right. days later and and if you're my daughter see i can't age, get my head back i mean you know i, I watched the, the girls out there and it, you know it, it's standard to all the stuff that you might like and then just send it back yeah. I, I can't get i mean one name would have beat me up if i even thought the about world's that changed, hasn't it? No, exactly. again uh, graham that's, uh, <laughs> listen the world has changed and we're, we're in that there mate that's brilliant thank you so much Graham, we've got to know you, we've got to know your career history and what the G-Gate J Consultancy can offer a business owner. You're quite right, it wasn't a sales pitch, it was us talking about the shops we like and we don't like, so that's even more fun. But I want to get to know you away from work, so I get a feeling you like me, you know, you're working 30, 30 hours a day, 8 days a week, possibly, but when you're not at work, what? how, how do you relax, how do you find peace? So I, I um, so... First things about me, I, I have this reputation of being this larger than life character. I'm actually quite an introvert and shy. Um, I don't have huge amounts of friends, if I'm honest, and, and that's through choice. I'm quite comfortable with my daughters being my best friends, which is good. Mm. Um, so out of work, I guess the most important things in my life are, um, are sport, because despite the fact I'm uh, overweight, I was a massively involved sportsman for... 30, 40 years of virtually every sport, um, apart from golf, which I'm rubbish at. Um, I uh, have two French Bulldogs, or Frugs, French Bulldog Pugs. They featured on social media. Yeah, they're still yeah. And they're, they're, about best, they're even more best mates than my daughters. And um, so I like the countryside, I like walking, I like um, 
I like wildlife and I like taking time to be in solitude. Um, my family matters to me. Um, I'm a big music person still. And sadly, I'm a big game person as well. I'm level 38 on Pokemon. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm a Call of Duty person and a FIFA person. And I guess that's that growing up in the Virgin Megastores environment. Um, so I'm quite a simple person, really. I, I, it's that growing up in Middlesbrough makes you reasonably humble. Um, given a choice, I'd rather go to a country pub for a meal than a party. Um, and, and I guess I can count the really true friends I have on, on one hand. Having said that, I'm not adverse to getting in a minibus and going to the World Cup with four friends and sleeping on the floor and, 50, and, and drinking you lots of beer. Um, but that's the, the reality, I guess, is uh, those are more, um, I, I guess, more extreme examples of a normal life that I have living in a village in Northamptonshire. An eccentrically normal life. It's slightly eccentric. But boringly normal, that's what I call myself. I'm boringly normal. So, you mentioned Middlesbrough, you mentioned Seaside, you've mentioned you love a sport. Yeah. Let's talk about your football team. (laughs) Who do you follow, Graham? So, I've been a Middlesbrough fan for over 50 years. Um, My two daughters, one was born in Surrey, one was born in Essex, they're both Middlesbrough fans. Um, If you're a Middlesbrough fan, it's a bit like being a Fulham fan, Peter. You have to accept you're a yo-yo yeah so there's going to be highs and there's going to be lows but you know what football the highs in football are as high as it ever gets in anything in life Mm. so uh, as an example my my dad was uh, fortunate to watch Middlesbrough when we had magnificent players like Brian Clough and Wilf Mannion and um, but he never saw Middlesbrough win anything Mm. and then in 2004 we won the Carling Cup the first trophy ever I can't remember. The Cardiff, wasn't it? Yeah, the, the feeling of elation because yeah. we'd lost two cup, uh, three cup finals with um, Brian Robson, and um, so I, I think the highs. But lost then the highs are matched. Lost a couple of UEFA cup finals as well. Yeah, yeah. we lost Sevilla. Yeah, yeah. Um, we well, lost one of them. I'm, I'm still, I'm still, I'm still. But still then you had to be there. Oh, listen, that journey yeah. was amazing. Uh, the, um, I, I, I followed Fulham all the way up, yeah. all the way back down, and we go all the way back up again. The the, the highs are magnificent. There's always yeah. more lows, but that's what about being a real football fan is. If someone had told us that we'd be in U, UEFA oh, tournaments and, and qualifying for Europe and four or five cup finals, semi finals. Um, have Ravenelli and Boxic and Hasselbank and Viduka and uh, Merson and, and a host of other players. So the 90s was a golden era yeah. because Steve Gibson, great chairman of the years, at that stage was rich. Mm. Nowadays with multi-billionaire It's like when, when our fire had come to the Fulham. The world's changed. When our fire had come to Fulham, he was the man. We are, we are never, we're a small town club. Mm. And, and on our best, you know, the reality is Newcastle's a bigger club than us. It's not a better club. Mm. And it doesn't make the fans any less passionate. Um, so I, I love football. I, I go to all the away games I can go to. Um, he's an amazing chairman, Steve Gibson, though, isn't he, in terms of yeah. what, what, what he's done? Well, he's, he's a type of chairman that many clubs want because he doesn't um, personify the club. He's, he's, most chairmen, uh, there's a slight ego to. They like being the visible mm. part of the club. Uh, and, you yeah, know, we could name one or two. Uh, the reality of Steve four Gibson, or five if we yeah, he's been there since uh, he was part of the consortium in 86 mm. when the, the, the club went bust virtually. I think he became chairman in 94, something like that. And throughout that 20, 30 years, he's funded the club because um, clubs of our size don't make money. Mm. You know, you, you lose money on a yearly basis. And uh, 
I, I think sometimes chairman should take a look at Steve Gibson and say that's not a bad model. I met him once. I met him once. Yeah. I, I don't think he'll remember. Um, I mentioned this on the show with Ian Smith, but uh, I was uh, um, I was doing some. I've got I got a bit of. Um, I used to coach for Fulham for years, and um, I was in the director's box one one day. It was a Tuesday night game, and I was there, and there was a there was a lot of faces in there that you don't normally see, and he was just uh, in the queue next to me waiting to get something to drink, and he was just really nice. You know, he's just he was just polite, sociable, and respectful. I think he's um he's one of the. Yeah. I doubt he remembers meeting me, Graham. Yeah. To be fair, he's probably not. He's probably not. Do you know, I remember. I, I was. Uh, this probably sums up Middlesbrough as a small town club. But we um, we were at Nunthorpe in a in a um, I don't know Nuneaton Nuneaton in a sunny nunny. Yeah, it was great, and uh, they couldn't find. Well, they were supposed to bring the tickets down on the coach with them, and we were stood outside and we couldn't get any. And uh, he sent Keith Lamb down, who was the chief exec at that stage, with tickets to get us in. With the director's box, and um, but most chairmen wouldn't bother. No, it's just that little touch. They're of class, distant, aren't they? It's that touch of class. Middlesbrough isn't like that. Although interesting, in recent uh, months, the atmosphere of the club's been a bit toxic. This uh, the the expectation in the club now. Have they appointed a new manager yet? No, they haven't. Because uh, I knew Slavisa was in there. Slavisa was in there. Slavisa was in the hunt, yeah. wasn't he? Our, our old manager. I think he's asked for too much money. Was he? And Woodgate um, was there. Wasn't he? It's interesting though. You, when you talk about the highs. I mean, I remember watching Fulham when we were 91st in the Football League and we lost to the team that were 92nd. Yeah. And that wasn't that long ago. You know, that was 93, 94. So it wasn't that long ago. And you go on that rise all the way up, you stay in the Premier League. But we, we had our moment in the playoff final a year ago when we, when we beat Villa. Um, that, what you said there about football being as good as it gets, that moment, I've never seen Fulham play at Wembley. The closest I've got to Wembley is Wembley Market or your Ikea. You know, I've seen England play, yeah. but never seen Fulham there. Um, we've been there once before, year I was born, 75. So so that, I didn't know there's 40,000 Fulham fans in the world. They're all, you know, they're there. <laughs> no, they uh, Yeah, no, no, no one did. I don't know where they come, but we had them. And I don't yeah, care yeah. where they come from. We hired them, it don't matter. But we won. Now, we did have a good season last year. We got down, we went back down. The world still turned. But that moment, that, that moment was so special. My kids were crying, my wife was crying, yeah. my mates were crying. I mean, I had about 18 tickets all, all around together with each other. And it was just an amazing, special moment for Fulham fans. And I, I, I say something controversial. I think I prefer the championship. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you should test yourself against the best. I, I started saying that when it looked like yeah. we were doomed. And I, think, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know whether I meant it or not. But listen, we're going to move on to my favourite part of the Foyne Jones podcast, the Foyne Jones show. Yeah, it's about recruitment sometimes. It's about businesses and people's history. But I just want to talk about football and have some fun. So, in your 35 year of a sports career, I presume that included football? Uh, mostly football. What yeah. position did you play? Centre half and forward. so as a centre half. So as a centre half, was you a kicking head or was you uh, playing it? No, out I was from never the, the most talented. So, so was, you kick things at everything. Very physical. Yeah. So you kick things at everything. Old fashioned five or six. Would you have took a pen? Oh yeah. Okay, cool. So you're gonna take five now. So number one, I've got them scribbled down here. Number one, who's your favourite Borough player? Janino. Oh, the little magician, eh? Oh, he's probably the best player I've ever seen. And. Home or away, whether you've been there or not, best borough goal? Oh, best borough goal. Um, uh, there's more meaningful ones, but the best goal I ever saw was away at Leicester. Um, and Alan Boxich picked it up about three yards outside his, the, their penalty area. 
no, our penalty area and ran the whole length of the pitch and chipped the keeper. I think it was Casey Keller. Um, and the only reason it was great because we saw him and Dean Windus driving home and he, they both leaned out the window. Dean Windus, oh, yeah. Yeah, it was like fab, yeah. but I've never seen a better, more deft goal. I've seen lots of good goals, but that, that one stands out in my mind. Long time ago, though. But you know, but but it's amazing. There's there's certain goals that I can talk about that I still see them. Like it's like time stuck still, and there's there's not that many. I've seen I've seen lots going in both ends. To be fair, and I often go to games and miss all the goals. You know, so that that happens. A I lot quite like well. the cup final one when Bolo's ending kicked it twice. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I remember that. Bolo's Bolton Ending. Bolton fans don't like it, do they? Bolo's Ending. There you go. Because because during that era, you did have some players turn up there. Emerson and Ravenel. Yeah, we were um, we for a while we were star studded. Star yeah. studded, and it was a joy to go to. I mean, there was two games where <laughs> diverse, but we won the quarter final and the semi final of the UEFA Cup from being three nil down, four three at home, and Macaroni scored in the last minute of both games. That's Masimo, never going to happen in a lifetime Masimo, ever again, is Masimo it? Massimo Macaroni, yeah. and he like me. Didn't I mean, he, he, the rest of his career, he was rubbish. Don't matter. But on those two nights, we won a game to get yeah. us to a final. There's a player for Fulham called Rodney Macaroni, who was a Northern Ireland trialist who come off the bench. We might have started away at Carlisle when us Carlisle and Wigan were going up 96-97. Mickey Allen. Boring, boring. That's boring. But the reality is, he scored a screamer. Yeah. We still seeing who puts the ball in the Carlisle, who yeah. put the ball in Carlisle net. He will always be a hero. Macaroni's a legend. Yeah. And always will be. And it's them moments that make you special. So let's spin that on its head with question three. What's been the most painful moment as a Borough fan where you just wanted the world to end and swallow up? Uh, um, I think the season that we, um, we had two cup finals and the FA took three points off us because we didn't turn up at Blackburn. And um, I remember singing... Uh, along with 30,000 other Borough fans at Old Trafford, two cups and we're staying up. And we lost both cup finals and we got relegated. That's what um, football fans are all about, isn't it? It's yeah. the hope. So that was, the, that was a season of yeah. and exactly that, it's yeah. the hope that kills Oh, it you. destroys you. It absolutely <laughs> ruins you, didn't it? Um, it ruins you. And I, I, but, you know, if you argued what was the most painful, we lost away to Leeds in a relegation season and watching Janino sitting on the floor crying. Um, you couldn't help but feel yeah. the same emotion. Uh, I'd say for football, football's ama- amazing what it does. And, and you look at it and you just think, and I love talking to fans from real clubs. And, and I'm not saying the top, top <laughs> clubs aren't real, but when you talk to a Pompey fan about their pain or a Forest fan, yeah. and you know, you just get it. Supporting Fulham, I just get it. So, so going back to the sort of the here and now with Borough. If you had a gun at your head and you had to choose a manager, you know, all salaries have been agreed, everyone wants to come, who would you put in charge of the borough for next season? I'm available, Graham, but, you know. <laughs> um, we can team up. We well, can. the interesting thing, the names have been um, very mixed. I mean, there was your ex-manager, what's he called? Slavisa Jukanovic. Jukanovic. See how um, well I did that? Slavisa Jukanovic. You know, if you take Jukanovic, took Watford up, took Fulham up, plays attractive football... Um, didn't succeed in the Premier League with either team but well, in fact one never got a chance well, he, did, he didn't he, so, yeah. uh, well, at the beginning of this journey I'd have probably said Jukanovic if you ask me if it's going to be a player manager I can't see a reason why it wouldn't be Woodgate who's mm. already there because he's played for Real Madrid Tottenham Newcastle um, played under people like Terry Venables Harry Redknapp Robson, Bobby Robson Bobby Robson right yeah. didn't he um, so I, I wouldn't go for a Terry or, or someone like that and I certainly don't want the sort of journeyman 
um, managers. I mean, in fact, Fulham have done the same thing because Scott Parker is a somber similar mould. Yeah, um, I but Jukanovic would have been my my first choice. He comes from Serbia. I won't see the rest of the song, but but I think I think <laughs> with I think with Savica, it was you know bringing Ranieri. I mean, I say this often. You bring Ranieri in, fair enough. Give Ranieri money. You know, you, you can't bring someone in and not invest in no. the team because it, it just it just doesn't work. So, I think for Borough, Savica would be would be an option that would change the way you play football. And I think the fans, from what I see, are, there's been frustration there. Yeah, they're tired. Yeah. I mean, look, Tony Pulis is in many ways very successful. We were in the playoffs last year. We missed out on the playoffs on uh, the last day yeah, of the season, know. despite winning. Um, but the football was was dull. Mm. It was turgid, and uh, it isn't as long ball as people make yeah. out. It was just defensively orientated. Mm. So you play four, five, one at home against teams you should be mullering, and and ultimately, I think you do want entertainment. I know it's a results game, but you want to go to the game looking forward. Well, we went full of made it to playoffs, and we went. Like, we were rubbish the first half of the season. We signed Mitro, and we signed a left back target, which meant Cesc could go up, and then we went on this like nineteen game winning run. We did, yeah. Uh, we lost the last game, which meant we didn't go up automatically. Then we lost the playoff first leg, which we went, but then we had, but the football was just outrageously yeah. attacking and good, and and you just you're just happy. Well, you we know. lost for, to Villa, didn't we? I remember saying, yeah, yeah, but we never even tried. We yeah. had one outlet, Traore. Yeah, give it to Traore because he's the quickest man on the world. And, yeah. But the reality of it is, Villa were much more organised, and actually, that's what happened in the final. You were the better footballing team. Mm. Villa have gone up. But they've got up now. And and you, and you know what? Villa had the best player on the pitch in that game. Grealish was the best player yeah. on the pitch. But we were a better team, and, and still the best player yeah. now. So we we were a better team. We went up. So cards on the table. Question five. Final penalty. Who will finish higher next season? Will it be the boys from the banks of the Thames, or will it be the borough? Will it be Fulham or Borough? Who's going to finish higher? Uh, that's a good one, isn't it? Um, I think financially we're a bit strapped, so I don't think we'll finish in the playoffs next year. Um, so if I was a betting man, I'd say if we finish in the top ten, we'd be good. So I have a feeling it'll be Fulham. Mm. I'd, I'd like us to finish between fourth and sixth. Yeah. I mean, I'd love us to finish higher than that. I'm not sure. Such a competitive. It game. really is, and 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 we're gonna have to go again because because yeah. is gonna go, and he should go. He's he's, he's only twelve, and he's still played hundred odd games for Fulham. He's not twelve. He's about eighteen now, but he's played hundred odd games for Fulham. He's too good to be in our Tottenham. team in the championship. Perfect club for him. Yeah. Perfect move. Perfect club. Audacious that Levy wants Cess and his twin brother Stephen for twenty five million. Is that I mean, he's that, that's audacious. You, you you can't have Cess for twenty five million. You don't get Steve free. Well, especially when he's selling players to yeah. fund that as well. So, so that, but but you got to admire that. But Cess wants to go. Mitro's probably going to go to Milan. So we'll have to build again. But you said something quite poignant, and anyone who follows football will agree. Scott Parker as a man is impressive. Yeah. As a coach, he's impressive. Give him some time and we'll just see what he goes. It's just a fit. It's like when uh, when Roy came. Roy fitted Fulham at that time. Yeah. And I think Scott fixed Fulham as we are now. So we'll see what happens, Graham. Graham, just to summarise the penalties. Janino, Alan Bogsit when he ran from his own from his own penalty box. Two cups and, and uh, we're staying up to no cups and a three-point deduction. Jonathan Woodgate in the chair. And Fulham might be slightly ahead of you next season. Yeah, I think that's about right. I'll take that. That's the end of the penalty shootout, Graham. (laughs) 
Graham, thank you so much for today. It's been brilliant to, to meet you because um, we've yeah. known each other for a while on social media and on the phones, but to actually get you here and just hear about everything you're doing has been, been brilliant. Great penalty shootout and a, a great journey, you know, from the Brits and the Mobos to Ikea and, and Bell Northampton to where you are now. Um, if you could give some advice to a 21-year-old Graham Jackson, what would you say to him? Um, I'd probably say something that, that is because it goes back to that thing that I'm reasonably introverted and shy, and that would be be more confident. Believe in yourself. Um, not many people out there will um, will be nurturing you, so if you don't have confidence in yourself, um, uh, no one else will. I'm a very... Um, now, I look back and I do a lot of mentoring at university and I do... Um, a lot of charity work actually and uh, I do that because I didn't see it when I was young does mm. that make sense nobody helped me yeah. when I left college um, and you had to stumble around until you found your feet so uh, yeah be more confident be believe in yourself because actually do you know what most people are better than they think they are fantastic Graham I mean in terms of people wanting to reach out to you they can reach out to me they can get in touch with you through your website you're a big player on social media I think from from you know the Foy and Jones show this podcast what's this podcast all about it's about people it's about personality you tick both of those boxes you you bring in the passion into it you're a borough fan good luck with the GJ consultancy Thank you. I hope you have a safer journey or, or a quicker journey back than you've had down enjoy Brighton it's good to have you here mate Cheers, Thanks, Thanks, Great talking to you, Peter. So that's the end of the show. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about Foyne Jones by visiting our website or connecting with me on LinkedIn. We are Foyne Jones. This is what we do.